All right, football fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is another edition of the American Athletic Conference, which is coming off a terrific, absolutely terrific championship game that we will talk about soon. And it is Joe Talk, as always. This is Joe Serpico. And on the other line, I got Joey Brobeck. What's up, my man? Not much. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Uh, we were saying literally just before we started here, we thought this was going to be a light show, and then all hell broke loose today in the, the coaching carousel that is college football. But what we're going to do to start this show is we're going to run through real quickly. SB Nation, they released their All-American teams, and we are going to dive through each player from the American that has – made it into most most of them actually almost all of them are honorable mentions um i do think the one thing that i did kind of like about the fact was and it does prove something we've been talking about all season long is it was pretty obvious that of the non-power five schools or if you want to say it the american was the next school in there the p6 really all the rest of the conferences didn't have much to show for the AAC uh, had to dominate for the uh, group of five, if you will. But just to kind of dive through it, because there is a lot we want to talk about, like we said. I think it's no surprise that Mackenzie Milton was an honorable mention. And I'm not going to argue that he should have been a first or second team because the two guys ahead of the two guys that won, I should say, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, I mean, can't argue it. They are both in the, well, one is going to be the Heisman winner, and the other one uh, is in the running as well. Yeah, I think there's a big gap between those two and the rest. You could say Milton's probably a, maybe a close third, I guess you could make an argument for. But I think that Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson are easily the two best quarterbacks. It's no discussion, really. I mean, when it comes down to it, those two guys, Lamar Jackson has been phenomenal for two years. Even Baker's been phenomenal for two years, but this has been his year. That's for sure. No running backs from the conference, which I – I don't really think surprises us because there really hasn't been a guy that uh, stood out this year in the conference. But there was two wide receivers that made it. And I know you're going to make a little bit of an argument about one in a second. Uh, one was Anthony Miller from Memphis. And that shouldn't surprise anybody who watched that championship game the other day because he was phenomenal, like always in that game. He really finally got to show off to a national audience, which I think is great, just how good he really is because that kid is, like I said, he is phenomenal. And then a guy who doesn't get probably a lot of attention other than by us, but that is Cortland Sutton from SMU. Now, I know we've been talking about him all season long. Uh, Trey Quinn has definitely been a beneficiary of having him on his team. But in the end, Sutton and Miller, I think we say coming in this year, hands down, were the two best wide receivers in this conference. Agreed. And I think the only reason why Anthony Miller isn't I guess second team. I could make an argument that he's second best behind James Washington, but AJ Brown and David Sills started off the year really quick, and they had they had a couple games that were pretty eye popping. So I think people tend to pay attention to the beginning of the year, and even though both of those guys fell off kind of towards the end of the year, it didn't really matter. Um, if, I think if you looked at Miller's body of work, it you look at his stats, and they're just better than those two. Maybe it's because they're playing a power five schedule. That's why they get the nod. But I, I can almost make an argument that Anthony Miller should be up there over those two. 
can't say I don't agree with you. I think he's been great all season long. I talked about that game. We have watched all season long just how good he is. So, like I said a little bit earlier, it's been kind of a good thing for him to be seen nationally. Uh, just just the way he he's not just a speedster. Like, he's, he's more than willing to go over the middle. Uh, he's definitely got a future at the next level. Uh, it'll be interesting to see both of those guys actually have a future at the next level. Uh, but let's just keep diving through it. Uh, there is no AAC representative at the tight end position, but I did kind of want to bring up that uh, Adam Brenneman was one of them. He does go to UMass, and I don't think we have any UMass talk on any of our podcasts, even though we do kind of cover them a little bit. So I did kind of mention him, and I know when we talked about – I'm going to be honest, I can't remember. Was it Temple? Uh, actually, yeah, Temple played UMass at one point this year, and I knew that you brought up Brenneman as a, uh, a threat at the time. Yeah, he was their top receiver coming in. He had a good year last year, and I I figured he'd be in the running for this, but you look at the top two guys, and it's definitely hard to beat both of those two. And the, the kid from Oklahoma is a, is a stud. Um, just to go through it, the offensive lineman was absolutely dominated by the Power Five schools. There was only two uh, linemen to make the list from G5 programs, and neither of them were actually from the AAC. And I do think that's a little bit of, again, we only had one vote for the Power Five, or excuse me, for the G5 schools, really. Cyrus had to put in one big vote for all of us. So I feel like you know that's kind of the reason why none of the offensive linemen got a lot of love from any of the uh, the smaller schools. So just to go on the other side of the ball now, there is one defensive end, and that's Justin Lawler. He was an honorable mention. Uh, I don't think that really comes as a shocker to me and you, just because he was a guy I think we talked about coming in this year, who if SMU was going to throw the way they did. Well, that also meant that Justin Lawler was going to be able to sit back and rush a passer a lot, too, and he definitely was a beneficiary of the offense almost. Yeah, another good year for him. I don't know what his stats. Yeah, I think he had like 19 sacks last year. I don't know what he had last year, but, yeah, another good year for him, even on a, on a defense that wasn't so good. To say the least about that. And then there's the one that he is – it doesn't matter – what position you want to talk about. He's the best player in a conference. And that is Ed Oliver. He was a first-teamer. The only G5 player to be a first-teamer. I'm pretty sure he was an All-American coming into the year, so it's really no surprise that he's still there. And you've watched all the games, and you've talked about it all season long, how even if he's not stuffing the stat sheet, he is almost unstoppable in every game. Yeah, and it's because he works hard. He, The one thing that sets him apart is obviously he's a, he's got all the tools to, to make plays and he's got strength. He's got quickness. He's got everything that you need to make the plays. But the one intangible that he has that a lot of players don't have is his hustle. He's always near the play. So even if he doesn't make the tackle or doesn't get the sack or doesn't get any stats, he's right there. So if someone misses their tackle or misses a sack, he can make that play. So I don't. I think that's the one thing that people don't pay attention to is if you watched him, he's near every single play, and when he's on the field, he's going a hundred percent all the time. Yeah, that is obviously the strength about him. It's not just his talent. Obviously, he's very talented. He's just got that hustle 
that is going to be coveted for sure at the next level. Uh, he's going to be a first-round pick when it's all said and done. There's no question about that. There is the next guy, which, again, should be not really a surprise considering he is the reigning AAC Defensive Player of the Year, and this is another guy who really, really had a great game in the AAC Championship game, and it's Shaquem Griffin, the linebacker from UCF. I mean, we heard the story over and over and over again about not having the hand and all the things you can do without it. I don't think there's that. Yes, okay, it it is a, an accomplishment for him, but the guy can just flat out play football. Like I think we should be just talking about that more than the fact that he doesn't have a hand there. The guy is a football player. Simple as that. Agreed. One thing I'll argue is he didn't get a fumble recovery on that first turnover, but you know whatever. We can't change that. But yeah, he's he's just fun to watch. Like it doesn't. You don't even notice that he doesn't have one hand. Like it. That's the thing that I think is great is when you watch him play people admire him for how he plays and what's great is people just kind of treat him like everybody else they just talk about how good of a football player he is and not oh well he's good considering you know people don't put like an asterisk next to his name it's the dude can play and I think that's the thing I love the most about him is when he plays and he's going 100% I mean we saw it in the in the Memphis game is he's a force to be reckoned with and stopping him is very, very difficult. He's going to be another guy that is going to be playing at the next level. I mean, you can almost compare what well, you almost did right there. You can compare him and Oliver, just in the fact these two guys have been arguably the best two players in the conference the past two years. And it's again, not just the talent. These two guys just boss their ass and that's what makes them so special. And that's why Oliver certainly is deserving of being a first teamer. Uh, Griffin was honorable mentioned. Again, it could be a little bit of a bias against our schools here, but he's another guy that at the, in a couple months will probably hear his name selected in the NFL draft. And hey, could join his brother for all we know, because his brother's a pretty damn football player too for the Seattle Seahawks. Let's go through the last position player that is, and I said before we started here, this is the one position that kind of or the one player, I should say, that kind of surprised me a little bit. And that is Perry Nickerson, cornerback from Tulane. It was an honorable mention. Now, I know me and you talked about him coming into the season, but that was coming into the year. I don't think we really said much about him since. And Tulane didn't really have a spectacular defense, to say the least. So it's not like I feel like he did anything to maybe stand out. But then... I'll also be honest, I didn't watch a whole lot of Tulane this year either. At least when I did watch them, I was watching more of the option, not really the defense. Well, and I think the hard thing, there's a couple things. The first thing is, I think, like you said, we we talked about him coming into this year. But I think the other thing that we talked about before we started this was Tulane kind of struggled this year, which when you're struggling, people tend to not watch you. Not that that's like a reason, a good reason for why people shouldn't pay attention, but it's a reason why people pay less attention to your team. And so therefore people pay less attention to you. The other thing with, with cornerback is everybody kind of looks at stats. Stats are kind of the thing that everybody, the majority of people pay attention to. And that's what we'd like to see. But at cornerback, if you're a good cornerback, you're not going to get those stats because teams aren't going to throw in your direction. 
So it's really hard to judge a good Cormac for the general fan. So I think that's mostly why he didn't, I mean, we didn't recognize him. Well, the first reason, obviously, was the fact that they weren't very good this year, um, even though they should have gotten bowling, but we won't open that discussion up. But I think that's those are two reasons why we didn't pay attention to, and that's kind of why he surprises us. I think the perfect argument that you made there is that little bit of part where you said, like, oh, if you're if you're a guy that coming into the game that people say uh, he's going to be one of the better corners, maybe he's not thrown out a lot, so that could be a good reason why Nickerson wasn't really, I guess, on our radar so much. So and maybe that's maybe that's the reason there. Um, and then just to finish this up here, the last one, which is, I think we talked about him a little bit last week, and we did see again in that in that championship game just how good this guy is, and that is Tony Pollard made the second team as a returner. Uh, we thought that he would be the first teamer, and then I think we both agree, because honestly I just kind of forgot about uh, Pettis up there. So he, he is actually deserving, considering that he had four returns for a touchdown. Yeah, I think if you had either of those on your team, you'd be pretty happy. Yeah. Obviously, I mean they're both uh, both electric with the ball in their hands. That's for sure. Especially, Paul. I think that's what makes well made Memphis actually kind of hard to stop. Was just because between Miller and Pollard, those those two kids not only are they quick, but you know they're gutsy and they're really really just good football players. Let's just go through two more of these before we dive into a little bit of the the coaching news that's a, we've been talking about. And one of them is something that we've been arguing all season long. Uh, we knew it would be for the conference for sure, but it was also voted the game of the year by everybody at SB Nation, and that was the War on I-4. War on I-4 was voted game of the year. Again, we can't argue it, but I'm just going to kind of, just to rehash something we've kind of talked about and not to dive into it a little bit too much, but hey, game of the year is this game here, UCF. USF still didn't mean anything to the playoff committee. And you could you could add even I don't know I could make a case that last week's game was better than the war on I four. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I mean yes, I totally agree with you. I mean I don't know both were pretty good. Those both were pretty all, good games. I mean there was no better way for the conference to be represented than these last two games. Right, and it, this whole year we talked we talked about. You and I have been talking about that P, the Power Six movement and what better way to get kind of the ball rolling than to have those kind of games. And as long as that rivalry, because I did see that now it's I saw that one of the there was a neutral site that really wanted to host the game, the host of that rivalry. Now, uh, I would love to actually see that if that does come to fruition. I think that would be actually pretty cool. But it just kind of like you said, for the conference as a whole, it couldn't have gotten any better. I mean, UCF was involved in two great games. At one point, I'm going to be honest, I thought UCF almost could have been out of it. And then they just came roaring back at the, in that fourth quarter there. And I mean, it's almost the same as the game before, where it's just back and forth, back and forth action. And some are going to argue, and I guess it is a pretty good argument that uh, the defense didn't really hold up uh, its part, considering that, 
they put up a combined, I want to say it was 112 points, if I remember right, or 107 points. I can't remember. I can't do this math on top of my head right now. Um, but, yeah, can't argue that that game was by far the game of the year, yet didn't mean anything to the playoff committee. Well, right, because Oklahoma – Oklahoma plays such great defense, but since they're in a Power 5 conference, they're fine. But, you know, the whatever. We'll go over that some other time. Uh, yes. Okay, I've been wanting to argue that for weeks now, but I don't think we really need to argue it. I mean, I, I said it on Saturday. It's really something that makes no sense. They're fine to do it, but we're not. That's okay. You said that perfectly. But let's let's just keep going because we will just fire. I can fire off about that for a long time. Uh, coach, coach of the year <laughs> went to... Former UCF coach. R.I.P., man. Too soon. Former UCF coach Scott Frost, who is now officially accepted the job in Nebraska, which, I mean, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. We kind of knew it was going to happen. I think the little bit that, or the, the thing that was kind of sketchy, just because I don't want to use another word that starts with S, was the fact that the information got leaked right in the middle of the game that he was taking the job at Nebraska. But, hey, I mean, I think we kind of knew it was coming. It's his dream job. He went there. We all knew at some point he would love to go back there. And I really do think that once the uh, the Florida job also got filled, that I really uh, the writing was on the wall. That uh, That was really the only option left for him other than to stay at UCF. And I think he really accomplished everything there was for him to accomplish at UCF. Agree and disagree. I think he could have stuck around, but like you said, in the end, none of us can really say anything because he went to, he just he went back home, and there's there's nothing that you can say that you can't say. Oh, he's he's a bad person for doing that. Like if we are all in his situation, and you saw how hard it was for him, we'd we'd all react the same way. It'd be so hard to not go back home and have that opportunity because those opportunities don't come around that often. Exactly. I mean, who's to say that if it wasn't Frost to come in there and take the job, who's to say that the next guy, I I don't know what other guys they were really interested in, to be honest. So, but who's to say that, you know, the next guy that takes over the Nebraska job, if it wasn't Frost was say their version of Saban, it takes that job for the next like 15 years, and then Frost never gets that opportunity. Now, Nebraska probably will never be anything like Alabama, but hey, you, you know what I mean? Like, you just don't know if, and I guess now nowadays you really don't have lifers, considering what we've seen in college football just in the past couple weeks. Um, just today, SMU is likely, let's put that out there, likely, losing Chad Morris to Arkansas. Those rumors have been flying around. Uh, there's nothing official as what you said before we started, right? Correct. Yeah, I haven't seen anything official, so I'm assuming we'll get something tomorrow. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm, I'm kind of assuming too. And then a little bit of a note that I touched on beforehand. Well, actually, I needed you to verify for me, but Houston's AD it left to take the Arkansas job, and it seems like that he took a guy from – from the Texas area with him with being Chad Morris. I guess we were not really supposed to talk about those kind of moves, but you think that's a solid move for both guys in that, in that circumstance to go to Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an sec job, which 
regardless of how you feel about it, it's it, right now it's a technically a better job than being at Houston or being at SMU until you know certain things fix themselves and things kind of even out. So for now, I think that there was it's it's a good move for Juracek, uh from Houston, and then if Morris does end up going, which are sounding like he's going there, that it'll. I mean, Morris is. We said you and I, I think both agreed that he's still a year away from showing us that he's ready to move on, but I think people are satisfied with what he did this year to take SMU from where it was to where they are now. Obviously, they have things to work on, and who are, I mean, the one nice thing is, if Morris does leave, whoever takes over for him is going to take over an offense that has the potential to be one of the best in college football. Yeah, next season, SMU will be a team to kind of pay attention to in the uh, AAC West. It's still going to be Memphis's to lose, I would think, but they will definitely be a, a team to to keep an eye on. We just brought up Men- or excuse me, Memphis. Uh, Mike Norvell has been a name who's been floated in just about every job as of late as a lot of these bigger-name jobs have been filling up. Uh, Tennessee was a job that his name has been connected to a little bit, and then I guess maybe, well, actually not anymore, just because of the fact that he signed a new contract extension, so he will be sticking around in Memphis for, I mean, honestly, does it really just mean he's sticking around for maybe one more year? Well, and that's why I think it's funny with contract extensions is, I mean, normally you would think, oh, well, great, this person's going to be around for however many years they signed their extension for, but in college football, it just seems, oh, well, that basically just means that he's sticking around until next year when so-and-so jobs opens up, which is unfortunate, but at least, I mean, at least fans can take some solace in knowing at least their coach is sticking around for at least another year. Well, see, I think this is a situation where the last two guys we talked about, it should be, it should be honestly, it should be flipped. Should have been Norvell that's beginning the new job, and Morris, to, like you brought up earlier, should stick around for one more year to really see if he is, you know, a, a a legit coach like that. But at the same time, if you're Arkansas, do you want um, like okay, do you want to wait and see? Maybe SMU goes ten and two next year, and then. Chad Morris is the hottest name in in college football, and then Arkansas doesn't really have a shot to get him. So maybe they're just kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Maybe that's the reason why they decided to go that route. Because we do, we can admit that it's clear that Chad Morris can't coach an offense. He can't coach defense. Well, he's got to hire defensive coordinators. Well, got to hire a defensive coordinator. And we didn't talk, actually. So I guess now is a perfect time to talk about the UCF situation. And I think the more impressive hire for them actually might be grabbing Randy Shannon from Florida. Yeah, I think, I mean. I mean, yeah. I mean, the head coach, don't get me wrong. I I think the offense next year, especially with Milton, with how accurate he is, could really, really be good next year. But I think just in terms of if you want, in the sense of what I meant for Shannon, it was just more of the thing of, well, it's it's pretty clear that UCF needs to shape up that defense if you're giving up 55 points in a championship game and 
42 in the week before. So obviously they can clean that side of the ball up a little bit. But just in general, is Shannon's just a guy that you know can kind of help out with a new with a new head coach, and he knows the Florida area well, so he's going to help with recruiting as well. I just think in all that it's it's to get him in addition was a fantastic grab for them. Yeah, Hipple did a good job of pulling him in. I was I didn't expect that to happen so soon. Usually it's just. Oh well, here's our head coach, and just give us a week or two, and we'll announce who who the coordinators are. And he didn't waste any time; he got right to work. And it seemed like it, was it like an hour later we we had a D coordinator, which you don't really see that very often. But I think this whole the coaching carousel this year has been different because of the early recruiting period. I think that's made this transition different. I think teams are or athletic directors, I should say, are kind of worried about falling behind in recruiting, especially since that recruiting period is coming up so soon. So I think that they're trying to make quick moves so that they can stay on pace with everybody else. I think that's a great point for you to bring that up, and I don't think a lot of people are actually thinking about that. I think that's why things have just been so crazy. It's Well, because we've never seen – it's like literally – what. The championships were just this past Saturday, and we're it's Tuesday. Yep. And people are we've already had how I don't know how many hires, but we've already had a bunch of firings and hire like we've never had that before. That's the only reason why it's happening. I mean, usually we wait a lot of these until after bowl games, and you know sometimes you'll get us a, a coach that went six and six that got fired. But it's just even even the bottom tier teams, I feel like the firings came like instantly. You know, we always get that the joke with um, in the NFL, which is Black Monday, where it's like that Monday, everybody knows that they're going to go. It almost seems like college football almost went like that. It was like, all right, was, let's just call it a Black Sunday almost was the day after everything was over. It was just like, boof, let's everybody decided they wanted to blow everything up. And then I think as we go along, I, I know for me personally, I, I didn't see the Morris news coming at all today. Uh, that was the one I didn't see coming whatsoever. I didn't see UCF's hire coming either. Also true. Well, I think, and I know we were talking about it in our group thing, that we thought that it was going to be Kevin Sumlin. I thought I was pretty set on that too. I actually really thought that was going to be the case. It just um, it almost made too much sense. Yeah, he might go to Oregon now. Well, and see, that almost makes sense now. And that's, I mean, that's a whole other situation with Willie Taggart. I didn't expect him to leave Oregon that quickly. It's just, it's crazy. It has been really a crazy coach and sir uh, carousel. Chaos. Yeah. I mean, that's the perfect word to say. Chaos. It really is. Because if you're an athletic director, now you got to decide if almost even before the scene's over, like, is this going to be my guy or do I got to, because you got to, you got to keep recruits there. If they're not going to come, then you got to get a coach to get a new recruiting class and, for those the group of five schools, I think that with the early signing period, I think that's going to help them a ton. So I think for these smaller schools, it's even almost more important that they get a coach in place so that they can really utilize this early signing period because I think that that's going to help group of five schools, maybe even more so than the power five schools. I totally agree with you. And it's almost because, and I just wanted to bring up these two situations. So we brought up the situation with Arkansas 
that Chad Morris is going there. But beforehand, I mean, you brought up how just how quickly they're getting ready. They didn't even let Brett Bielma off the. He didn't even take his headset off before they told him he was fired. Like he was, he was done that quick. And so, like you just kind of brought up all the all the Arkansas recruits now are all like, okay, he's gone. You know, what's my future? And that helps teams, like you said, the G the G five schools to come in all of a sudden and scoop those guys in because they're have their established coaches and for the most part, none of them are changing. And then just to go like on the complete 180, you've got the whole situation with Florida state where Jimbo Fisher just kept waiting and draw, you know, he kind of drew it out. And then you, you heard about all the Florida state commits were just dropping like flies. And so again, if you're UCF, USF, Florida international, all those schools down there, you're almost, you know, licking your chops saying, all right, this is our opportunity to come snatch some of these guys up because of that uh, early signing period that you just talked about. Exactly. Yeah, I can't I can't argue any of that. It has been a good and bad thing for the conference. I will say. The, obviously, we just said the Morris was the uh, the one that shocked me, but I will admit I am surprised it's only been two two moves out of the conference because I, you know, how harsh I've been on ECU all year. So I am a little bit surprised. Don't you worry. I'm a little bit surprised, but maybe, I don't know what they're waiting for down there. Don't know what you get. They're giving us, they're giving us third year. He deserves third year. Barely, but he does. I guess, I guess I will give ECU fans. Give you guys credit. Your attendance numbers are fantastic. But you guys, look, but yeah, you guys like to watch to take shit notes. football. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, yeah, yeah. But all right, so we kind of dove into a little bit. Let's let's really really recap that AAC championship game. Again, phenomenal game. Phenomenal game. Really lived up to the hype. You know, we're not going to dive into the whole playoff way too much because I feel like it's been repeated over and over again, but it's just one of those things. What else does UCF have to do to at least be in the top 10 after two of the most, you know, they voted, SB Nation voted for it. Best game of the year was a war on I-4, and we just said it maybe five minutes ago. That championship game was even better. What else has this conference got to do? Well, I'll say this: if if UCF beats Auburn, which by the way, did you see that they they sold out their allotted tickets in the first day? Of course UCF they did. did. The fans are behind. Them. I'll give them yeah. that. Now they're legit, which is great. I just hope it's something that sticks around next year. Also, right. now did they make? Well, is, so I'll say. See now, I'm sorry, not to cut you off, because I have I haven't been on the whole Twitterverse today. Have they made any announcements? Is Frost still coaching the? Bowl game. I have not heard that, and I don't know how that changes with Typo being hired. That's what I mean. So, like, there has been no talk of him not, you know what I mean, not doing it anymore. So I'm not sure what's going on with that whole situation. Well, and Walters was named, the offensive coordinator was named interim coach. Exactly. And I think he's going to, if I heard correctly, I think he's going to Nebraska as well. Yes. So I don't know if they will... But like, what do you, I don't, I guess I don't, and I don't know the logistics of how that works, but like, what, 
most it sounds like most of the coaches are going to Nebraska. So like, who's going to coach the game? Exactly. So it almost makes you feel like that maybe they maybe they are actually sticking around for that game. I hope they do because that gives them the best chance of winning. And I think the the one thing I'll say too about the Frost situation is it's it's been a good breakup. You know, like it hasn't been. I mean, there's people who are always going to be like, "Oh, screw Frost, he sucks." Like, why do you leave? Blah blah blah. But like, for the most part, people are like saying thank you like thanks for what you did for our program and thank you for all that you brought here so it's the way it should be kind of right and you don't see that i mean you saw what happened in florida state like jimbo fisher that was messy and usually it's it is pretty messy but it's nice that you get a change of pace here where they're like okay well you're leaving that sucks but we appreciate everything that you do and whatever you want and need from us we're we'll be glad to help and if you want to stick around for a little bit longer, we're more than okay with that. I think what was almost perfect, just to kind of keep going with what you said, was when Nebraska's football uh, handle on Twitter basically was like, hey, we'll let you have them. You know, it almost, like you said, almost showed that, like, they're working together almost, which is kind of cool because right, most which, of the times it's just like a cutthroat business, like, you know, screw you, we, we stole your guy, that's it, you deal with the consequences. Well, I think Nebraska owes us for breaking that news. We know it was you, Nebraska. Don't even give me that. Well, of course it was. Breaking it during the game. So they owe us for that. So we'll take that. Of course it was. And I think what, like, you could clearly, like, when he, or he being Scott Frost, and we gave that, that post-game interview afterwards, I mean, you could tell he was fighting tears. Yeah, well, not just that, but he was fighting tears, too. Like, you could tell how much those kids meant to him, the UCF kids. Because obviously they got they got him that job. Let's be real. Like they, it, yeah, no, for sure. In the end, they get him the job. Like, if, I mean, those kids are the reason why. And well, I'm not gonna say that because Frost obviously helped that turnaround. But if it's not for them, he he's not the Nebraska coach. It could have been hell. It could have been Chad Morris if they were if if UCF doesn't come out as a champion or undefeated, maybe coming into November. I don't even know if we're talking about Scott Frost at Nebraska. Yeah, and the other thing I like it it you mentioned it is the the relationship that Frost and his kids have. I think in college football now, because it's becoming less and less about the kids and about the student athletes sort of thing. It's, it's becoming more of, Oh, I'm just here to get a paycheck. And you see that with Jimbo Fisher's ridiculous $75 million contract at Texas A&M. Like you're telling me that's about kids. No, it's not about kids, it's about winning, which I get that that's where it's going. But, it's nice to see you have, I mean, even you look at Memphis, Mike Norvell's, most of his contract extension was he wanted his assistant. Great point. To, Great point. Yeah. So, and they're all about the, the fostering those relationships with their kids. And I think that kind of gets lost in a win now culture. It's definitely a win now culture. I mean, you, to bring up the Jimbo thing, that that's almost perfect. I mean, we've known for, for a while now, well, maybe if you're a college football fan, like really into it, but Texas A&M, for some reason, they're pulling in the most money out of every school in the country. I don't know what they're doing down there to pull that off. I don't know what oil money they, they have coming out of what, but I in the past couple of years, when it comes to revenue numbers, A&M has been the top school. So it kind of almost makes sense why they could just throw that ridiculous money at Jimbo Fisher 
Uh, just to not to keep diving into that, but that fan who went after Jimbo, I thought that was pretty cool, actually. Good for that guy. Well, right. He's just, it's like, just make a decision, dude. We like, I don't know. And you could tell the kids were pissed about it, too. Oh, friends. I was going to bring him up. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no call, no nothing. Just see you later. Like, and, and that's why I like the relationship that Scott Frost had. Like, exactly no, why I wanted when, to bring that when, up. Yep. When a coach leaves, it's not easy. Let's like, we're not going to, we're not sitting here saying like, well, they're oh, father well, figures. Right. You know what I mean? To those kids. Exactly. Yes. It's about more than a game. And I think. That's what's sad is that that gets lost because we're so worried about winning that we fail to realize that these are 18 to 22, 23, even maybe 24-year-olds who some of them, their coach is their father figure and their teammates are their brothers. And I think for the most part, that's the case. And I think when people get so wrapped up in, oh, we have to win the conference, we have to win a national championship, we have to do this, have to do that, that those relationships and that experience gets lost. That's a conversation we could really talk about for hours, just relationships in general, or the way that schools now are operating in general. It really, I mean, it almost seems like education doesn't even matter anymore. Like if it's all about making dollars and ESPN is paying top dollar for the SEC and the and the A or the ACC, excuse me. So they're trying their best to really showcase these teams. So, and then it turns around like I just brought up Texas A and M. It seems like they got all this revenue, so they're willing to throw it at a coach like Jimbo Fisher. And I mean, you could do the trickle down. There's Alabama and the schools like that are throwing all this money out for to win. It's not about the student anymore. There's only uh, every year 250, and that's me being kind of generous, to be honest, that are going to make it to the next level. And that's just in football. And, and then all these, I mean, we, that's a whole other argument. Just how much money the schools are making, the students are not. I could go on. That's really a conversation I can go on for days about because that's one that has bothered me for a very long time. Just that whole yeah. situation where student student athlete, but all the adults are making all the money. All right, so like we kind of went on that little bit of a, a rant right there, but let's let's bring it a little bit back to the actual championship game here, just because it was so good, and uh, we just like I said, we just kind of went on that little bit of a rant here. Again, what a great game for the conference, best game of the weekend, without a doubt. I don't want to hear that any of those other conference games. I mean, the AAC championship game, what a disaster. Uh, the SEC game, I I don't think compared. Big Ten game, I again, just not. I mean, just to be real, none of them were anywhere near as exciting as the American game, and for some reason, just still not getting the love. Even though between Riley Ferguson. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, I will admit, a couple ill-advised turnovers that I, I really didn't see coming from him. Because Otherwise, honestly, maybe this could have really been a UCF blowout if they don't give up the ball inside the, to hell, inside the, the two-yard line twice. Right. This game was, I, I, I wrote it I wrote it in the recap. I said this is the best game of the day, and I got a little bit of 
you know, a little bit of heat for saying that it was the best game of the day when it was just the beginning, but turns out I was right. So I don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to save people some time, some watching all those boring games, but I guess they didn't want to listen. So, but the, the game went, yeah, like you said, it was awesome. The, the star players came to play. They, they put up big numbers, points were scored. The drama was unbelievable. And the, the excitement from all the scoring was like I said earlier, it was almost better than the war on I four. And for this conference, that was great to have those two games two weeks in a row. And uh, yeah, it I I don't know what else to say. It was it was one of the best football games I've watched all year. Without a doubt. I brought up earlier how for a while it looked like that UCF's undefeated season might have been on the ropes for a little bit. And I mean, they made that comeback, take it into overtime. Well, excuse me, actually double overtime. Uh, it's just I, for me, I know I, I we keep saying I want to talk about the actual the game, but I can't just think of the repercussions just because of the fact the week before we saw a UCF win, which again voted game of the year, didn't move them up at all in college football rankings. They win the conference and move them up two spots. So I, I'm I'm sorry to keep re, rehashing the whole debate about that. In my mind, that's the thing that I just can't understand. They're an undefeated team. The hottest coaching name on the block, coach of the year. There we go. Game of the year. And they're still not getting enough attention to the, uh, the playoff committee. Who... Granted, if we could talk about that playoff committee, it was pretty clear. And I'm not going to say I don't agree with uh, Alabama being that fourth team in there. Because I do think if on paper you put Alabama against some of the teams next to them, they probably just wipe the floor with them. But I also think that part of the reason why Alabama got a little bit of a bump uh, over some of these other teams is because they are Alabama and Alabama equals cha-ching for certain people yeah and (laughs) the funny thing is we have we have a we have a tournament bracket that is for the five power conferences and there's only four teams that get in and they're having trouble figuring out how they can't get all those teams in and then on top of that you have those people who say well we don't need an 18 playoff because the the conference championship games are the playing games. Well, yeah, how's that working out for you this year? Like, it's not. And last year. Yeah, right. It's not. Like, what's the point? Of, you know, it's just, and it's funny, that, like, it, nah, we're not going to get into it. Uh, the one thing I will say is if UCF's not, if UCF beats Auburn and they're not in the top 10 in the committee rankings, I'm just going to not watch college football ever again. I'm dead serious. Like, I'm. it's just ridiculous. If that doesn't happen after that, do they still do rankings after the season? I think they do final rankings. Oh, maybe they don't. I was just saying, probably not the the playoff committee. They probably still do the AP and well, coaches. Is, ones. Is, are they top whatever ten in the AP poll? Who's that? Come on, look that up. Uh, look that up real UCF. quick because I'm not sure. Honestly, I for a while I was paying yeah, attention okay, to them. Tenth. So they are. Yeah. So yeah. for a while I was paying attention to the AP and the coaches poll. Then I realized, well, it doesn't mean crap. So. Well, uh, let's look at last year. Did they do? Did they do rankings last year for like the playoff of these? After the fact, I would think. I think. I mean, 
the whole point of them is just no, to do dude. the one through four. Oh well, that's another thing is why are we doing rankings for teams that that we're just picking four teams in the end? Because okay, so here's my one point, and I won't go too much on rant. So last week, Ohio State was eighth, and Alabama was fifth. So to that point, you're saying that what they've done up to that point is determines where they are in the standings. So what you're saying is the next game that these teams play determines who gets in and who doesn't. And so basically the committee said that not playing in the SEC championship game is better than beating the fourth-ranked team in the nation. Any other week, that eighth team is jumping over it, that fifth team to the fourth. Uh, did we not see that when Clemson – or I'm sorry, when Miami beat Notre Dame? They shot up. Right. They so, shot up. They went from – I don't remember what they – I want to say seventh or eighth to second. Yeah, so it's it, – like that doesn't make any sense. But again, so – So why are we ranking teams from week nine? That's That's what I – I've been saying it for forever. Why do we start ring, or week ten, whatever? Why are we ranking teams starting then? Your point, your whole purpose isn't Money. to rank teams. Money. Well, I don't care. It's stupid. I, I mean, I don't care if you're making money is something stupid. Levar Ball's making money. Everybody like him. No. Hey. Yes, I just compared the committee ranking teams to Levar Ball. That's how dumb it is. I just wrote that down. Committee Not to Levar. Ball. Just wrote that down. That'll be that might be the headline of this uh, <laughs> of this podcast here. All right. That's before it, before we though. just yeah before we really keep rant ranting. The real reason why we're doing this episode is because arguably the most important game of the year is this week, and that is. The 118th meeting of the Army-Navy game. It'll be held in Philadelphia this year after being in Baltimore last year. Uh, Me, personally, as a person who has literally lived 16 years in Philadelphia and then another 16 years in Baltimore, I love it because I just basically bounce back and forth between my two cities to watch these games uh, this year it is, and it's also back in my home field, Lincoln Financial Field. But this is another year for for Army and Navy, where I'm actually a little bit surprised. So Navy is a three and a half point favorite, considering how Army, without a doubt, has the better record. Yeah, yeah, Army has the better record. My argument is, and I can understand this is. Navy has definitely played the better competition. Fine. With that, I mean, here's the thing. All right, we know we Whatever. know Navy started five and zero, and they played a pretty soft schedule. That's I mean, that's what we talked about coming in those first five weeks, did we not? Yes, it was soft, and even play even beating FAU was soft because FAU was not the team that they are now. They weren't ready. Yes. Exactly, exactly. They were still learning their ways under Lane Kiffin. You play that game right now, and they would get smoked. Oh. The way sure. that Lane Kiffin's sure. got that offense going right now. Like, the way they're rolling right now. they get. But then Navy, I mean, just these are four games in a row right here. UCF, undefeated. Memphis, 
if hell, if they didn't play at UCF, they're undefeated. Notre Dame, obviously, pretty damn good team. And then the loss to Houston. That's four of their losses. I mean, those are four pretty strong teams. Well, they didn't. They didn't. Their five losses haven't come or haven't been by more than ten points. They lost to Houston. And that was that's the Houston. That was by my 10 next argument. UCF by ten. So yes. Okay. So that just proves that they they have definitely proved that they can battle with anyone. As opposed to, and I mean, it's an army team that leads the country in rushing, and they they have the top rushing quarterback in the country. And also, this is a team that, and this I think this is still to me this is the craziest stat of them all. They're three and zero in games where they have zero passing yards. Well, and they're they're six or I think they're six and one when they've completed one or less. Like I think they're high. That's they're, just absurd. Their game high for completed passes is like eight, which then, is on because this era of college football that we're in now, where it's spread them out and throw it 50, 60 times. How we just watched this game this last weekend between the UCF and Memphis, where they put up all those points. You're not going to get that from these two teams that we're going to watch this weekend. You're not going to get that whatsoever. But at the same time, we've kind of talked about it too. Just because they are different offenses, being that they're the option, it is exciting to watch. Just because at this point now, we are not used to watching that at all. That might have been the thing back in the day, but this day and age, you don't watch this this style of offense whatsoever. No, and... Like you said, that's the reason why it's so much fun to watch because we're so used to you have teams that run spread option, which spread option looks so much different than just triple option. And then you have you have air raid offenses and all these power running teams that don't run any option. You know, it's just it's like you said, it's just different. And that's I think that's the reason the biggest reason other than the tradition why I like this game so much is because. You're not going to see. I mean, you saw, like you mentioned, Army does not throw the ball very much. And granted, Navy seems more like an air raid team with their 99 pass attempts this year compared to Army's 60, but they don't throw the ball that much either. I mean, no, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Anytime that Zach Abbey has to go back to pass, it almost seems like a disaster in the making. For me personally, I, I, the one thing I do when I think of Army, it was it is that game against Temple where they I mean, we've been talking about how they don't pass the ball and then they they drive right down the field with less than two minutes to go passing the ball and end up winning the game against Temple. For for so for me that's like one of those things like hey Temple is one of the few teams that Army beat by actually passing the football. But let's not make this about. Let's not make this about me. Uh, a few other little bit of notes about this game. The Commander-in-Chief's trophy is on the line, and which kind of surprised me. Army hasn't won that since 1996. Yeah, it's been a while. Been a long time. Granted, uh, 1996 up until last year was arguably the best the, uh, team that Army's had in a long time. Who's, who won it last year? Air Force? Air Force. Okay. Air they, Force. These teams both beat Air Force, right? Yes. Yeah, Army that, beat that, 21-zip. And... Exactly. That's why That's why this game is the deciding factor. Gotcha. Okay. But just, just more 
kind of inside the numbers, we are talking about number one offense, number one rushing offense, excuse me, against the number three rushing offense. Number one quarterback rushing against the number four quarterback in rushing. And then just to prove how good these guys are rushing the football, uh, Ahmad Bradshaw for Army is 10th in the nation in total yards. Zach Abbey for Navy is 19th, so they're both top 20 guys. And like I said, they're both top four in terms of quarterback rushing. Lamar Jackson is one of them. And the kid Tate from Arizona, who that kid's that's a kid's a beast. Um, he's the other guy that's in there. I brought up the number, the three and O thing, which to me literally just blows my mind. Just three and O without completing a pass. And this comes from uh, a team who's now honestly, if Army doesn't lose the last game of the year against North Texas, we're talking about a team that's won seven in a row coming in this game. Well, and they could be. Uh, they could be ten and one because they lost to Tulane early in the year yes. by four. Yes, yes. Oh. So they're two, two of those three. I mean, they're not beating Ohio State. Let's no, honest, but well, I mean, that's they that's be obviously the outlier on their whole schedule. It really yeah. is. I mean, they don't belong on that schedule, but they could be ten and one. Yep. I mean, it's by far the best year they've had yet. And then I really wanted to touch on this. This is the main thing I really want to touch on. Both teams are going to be rocking some very, very sweet uniforms. Like the ones from, especially for me, the ones that Navy is going to be rocking. Those things are really, really cool. And then the ones, obviously, the ones the Army's rocking too. Those are are great, also. That's kind of like the one thing I do like about this whole thing too how they how they wear different jerseys for these these matchups every year. Right, because they're so traditional most of the time, and now they're getting different looks. And personally, the last two years have been great for me in terms of uniforms. I know some people didn't like navies last year, but I mean, the, let's talk about the helmets two years ago for navy, where they painted, hand painted all those ships on mm-hmm. their helmets. Those were sweet. Yep, I really was a fan of so those. I, yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. That I like that they're switching things up. I mean, for me, so like for navy, I just brought them up a little bit. They're doing the blue angels theme, and just this past year, uh, I brought it up numerous times. I live in Baltimore. And just this past year, Blue Angels did a, sh- a free show in Baltimore, and that was incredible. Like, those guys are incredible. And just to see them give tribute to those guys, and then even for, for Ar- to flip it, for Army, you know, who's given or honoring a, a World War II division, I think is, is great. And, th- I mean, just those jerseys are cool. And then, obviously, to bring it back to the economic side of all of it. This is a chance for like, if I was a diehard Navy fan, I would buy that Jersey. Oh yeah. So it's just another way to uh, put a few bucks in the pocket for, for Navy fans, if you will. Um, Just one other little thing that I want to add. Navy's won 14 straight up until last year, but I think the little crazy thing was, is, Five of the last six have been cited by a score. And then the last two years, both games were 21 to 17. Now, there was two different winners, obviously. Uh, it was Army last year, Navy this year. All right, so we have been doing our P6 pick So we haven't been doing a whole lot of, well, actually, any of our picks actually on the show, really. 
So this will be one of the few times I actually get to ask you on the show who you got, Army or Navy. I have to go with Army. I think the overall better team. Navy's defense is what concerns me. They've kind of struggled at times this year. And I think, well, the beauty about this game is it's another rivalry game that it's probably going to be a low-scoring game. But I think Army's just more consistent. So I think that they pull this one out. I was just about to give like the counter-argument for Navy just to be the counter-argument. But that that honestly, I'm looking at the three and a half. That number throws me off a little bit. But at the same time, I do kind of want to say that we've watched Navy. Yes, the second half of the season. They haven't won the games, but they have battled with some really good teams who I brought up all the names a little bit earlier. And I'm going to. Say that Army schedule outside of Ohio State, obviously, was just not on the same as Navy. So I'm going to go with Navy. Actually, I just talked myself into it. I'm going to go to Navy. I think they're going to pull it off. Um, if I'm a betting person, I'm not taking a three and a half, though, cause just because I'm a little bit afraid of that. But I do think, just because, like I said, I think Navy has been more battle-tested this year especially over the past couple of weeks. I understand they haven't been winning a whole lot of games as of late, but I almost feel like, hey, they haven't won a whole lot of games as of late, so this is, will even give them more reason to be fired up for this Army-Navy game and come in there and pick up the W. But, hey, I've been wrong before, obviously. You 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 beat me in the uh, P6 pick. I'm, I'm giving you that credit right now. I'll, I'll do my, uh, keep my title belt. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you hold on to that. Let you. <laughs> I'll send it to you if you be. I'll sure. let you hold on for this year. But uh, yeah, I guess in the next couple of weeks, Joey, we won't have a whole lot to talk about on this podcast, considering there's not a lot of football for a couple of days. Well, we said we said that today too, and look what happened. That is also very very true. Well, I guess a little bit on the next, just to kind of give a kind of a preview for the next one. We will kind of go over some of the recruiting stuff because I believe that is on Monday, right? Uh, I thought it started on the 20th. Oh, I thought it was the 3rd. Oh, my God. I'm terrible with dates. It's the 20th. Okay. See, that's what I have you for, Joey. See? (laughs) You're on top of this kind of stuff. I don't pay attention to dates. I'm terrible with dates. I do know. I booked it today. I will be at the Gasparilla Bowl. In Tampa, see Temple play uh, Florida International. I am definitely looking forward to that. So we will be previewing that game and all the AAC matchups once we get to that point. Other than the obvious, the UCF game, which one of those games most excites you? I'd probably have to go with Memphis, not because I'm biased, but because they're playing a Power 5 team. They play Iowa State, and it's a home game. So I think they have a good chance to have a strong showing, and it's not the Power 5 team they probably deserve, but it's you know the one they're getting. And I think a good, well, a good performance against a Power 5 team will, we talked about it earlier, with the Power 6 movement, it's just another opportunity for them to showcase that this conference can come can compete and can beat teams that are in these power five 
conferences, and Iowa State's no slouch, so I think that's the one game that people should definitely watch outside of the UCF game. No, I literally, actually, as you were just giving that argument there, it just kind of hit me. I'm going to argue that that game might be more important for the conference than the UCF game. Just because of the sense that, okay, we know UCF is the right now is the class of the American. And even if they get blown out, people are going to say, well, they're, they're, you know, they're a G5 school, blah, blah, blah. But if we can get the quote unquote, and I mean, I guess they are this year, second best to hold their own also against an Iowa State team who, I mean, they started off pretty well but they've really faded towards the end i feel like but if they can hold their own against them then i think we can really start that that discussion of that these guys are legit let's start maybe talking about a power six well and i i wish they beat oklahoma oh yeah same here so you're telling me you, i mean it's i guess it depends on if you think this is the same iowa state team at, that beat oklahoma but they beat oklahoma and if memphis beats them what's i mean What's stopping anyone from saying we can that Memphis can beat Oklahoma? You know the Oklahoma team that's got a great defense, right? Yeah, they're top, you know, top sixty for sure. Yeah, great defense. But that's okay. They're in a Power Five conference, so they'll get in. Whatever, who cares? Yeah, they see. That's one of those teams they can score eighty points. So can UCF. All right, but to just like my the game that I'm actually looking forward to, and I'm actually yours makes all the sense in the world. But I want to stick to two, uh, two G5 programs. That's a game that I'm looking forward to. And that, that's the, the Hawaii Bowl with Houston. I'm really looking forward to that game. I think that actually could be a uh, – of the of the G5 games to watch, I think that could be uh, the best one. I like that one too. I really do like that one. And I am a little bit disappointed that we're not getting the FAU F – or FAU – USF game that was kind of built up for us a little bit coming in the year. That was a game I really would like to watch this time of the year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would really have loved to see those teams go against each other, but I guess we can't always get what we want, right? I wanted UCF in the uh, in the playoff, and for some reason or not. Yeah, oh well. I guess our goal for this uh, off season, damn it, I can't, it almost feels weird to say that we're almost in the off season right now is to uh, make sure that P6 teams schedule actually some better competition for next year. And we were going to really this winter, spring, summer, really try to make the AAC a a better known thing just because at this point now, I mean, the games have almost proven themselves. Now it's just up to me and you to make sure we spread the word, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's what we're here for. Anything else you want to say on this episode before we get out of here? No, sir. Again, like I said, it's been a fun season. I'm almost I'm almost sad to say that the AA season has come to a close. But that doesn't mean the podcast has come to a close. We've got a couple more of these. This is its bowl season. Um, we'll figure out what we're doing in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, we have to figure all that out just because there's not another bowl game until two weeks, right? So we've got some, I think the uh, Gasparilla Bowl that I'm going to is one of the first ones, too. 
But again, thanks for listening to another episode of the Underdog Podcast. Make sure you are following all of us on Facebook and Twitter. Go Army. Beat Navy. That's what I'm saying. I only did that because a buddy of mine begged me to do that for him. But go Navy. Thank you.